0: Today's date is March 30th, 2016, and the title is Rising and Falling on the Temple Floor. So, as is tradition in LCMF, I came to speak for one service, but I've got about five messages at once, so we'll do our best. But, uh, turn with me to Second Chronicles 30. Anybody know the story of Hezekiah? Somebody tonight? Then let's start reading in the first verse. Hezekiah sent word to all Israel and Judah and also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh, inviting them to come to the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel. The king and his officials and the whole assembly in Jerusalem decided to celebrate the Passover in the second month. They had not been able to celebrate it at the regular time because not enough priests had consecrated themselves and the people had not assembled in Jerusalem. The plan seemed right for both the king and the whole assembly. They decided to send a proclamation throughout Israel from Beersheba to Dan, calling the people to come to Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel. It had it not been written, had not been celebrated in large numbers according to what was written. So before this, We've had a huge gap in time where they have not celebrated the Passover like Moses commanded. And you see, a revival begins to spark in Jerusalem, the city of God. And as I read this, you know, it began to draw parallels as to how it's analogous to us. We are the people of God inside of our surroundings, compromise all around us. And yet, there's this kind of revival that was sparked. But it didn't start with them going off and sitting with Ephraim and Manasseh it's sent a proclamation. They sent a clear call as what God was doing. They stood on their standard. And something about that, and it's like a blueprint for what is to happen later in the New Testament, what's happened later in our life. And as we think about that, in our life, are we taking what God has given us like a clear call and a standard that is going to bring life and revival? See, the temptation is to take this awesome thing that God has given us, show up and participate in it, but then go live in Manasseh, go live in Ephraim. Sometimes we want to hang out with those that you know, it's the most comfortable, that uh, our personalities, they, just, they mix the best, you know, or uh, somebody we've known the longest. See, these are all brothers. I can say that tonight, you're my brothers. I genuinely, I love the people in this room. I grew up in this church. It's my family. There was 12 tribes, 12 brothers, and they split in Rehoboam's time period because of sin. Men who didn't stand firm on their faith and didn't trust the Lord. Now we've got a divide amongst his people from those that are in the house of God but don't live rightly. There's a little bit of compromise it's ever-growing and those that hold firm to the truth. Let's keep reading. Let's read 6 through 9. At the king's command, couriers went throughout Israel and Judah with letters from the king and from his officials, which read, People of Israel, return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The people of God, return to your forefathers, that he may return to you who are left, who have escaped from the hand of the kings of Assyria. Do not be like your fathers and brothers, who are unfaithful to the Lord, the God of their fathers, so that he made them an object of horror as you see. Do not be stiff-necked, as your, fathers were, as your fathers were, submit to the Lord. Come to the sanctuary, which He has consecrated forever. Serve the Lord your God, so that His fierce anger will turn from you. See, there's a gospel message that's going out here. They're proclaiming the kingdom, and they're calling them back to that standard. And from the get-go, they weren't ready. They weren't consecrated for what the Lord wanted to do. And yet, the Lord was so merciful, that He did it Anyway. He put it in the king's heart to say, all right, let's give them a little bit more time. Let's give them a little bit more time. Let's do it next month. Just to give those an opportunity that were straggling to come back to that standard, to come back to the move of God that was coming. See, we've seen so many sent out from this church that have done amazing things. Works overseas that uh, belong to missionaries there that we've supported. Works inside the United States. There were men and women just like us. They were found in coffee shops, found in student halls, that are now pastors all over the place. And the Lord has a crop that is coming up from the group that is in this room right now. He has a crop from each one of us. but the question is, will we we be ready for that move of God? Because many in this passage, they're priests, they're Levites, they're even in Jerusalem. They're in the house of the living God. But not everybody was ready. Not everybody had set themselves apart. What I would encourage you to think is to hold on to that Set yourself apart and begin to apply it to your life. That's so what I had to do as I read this passage. Begin to think, "Oh, and I'm in the house of God. How does that relate to me?" All right. Let's read the tenth verse. I'll keep going. Right. The, the couriers went from town to town in Ephraim and Manasseh as far as Zebulun, but the people scorned and ridiculed them. And that is so much like those of us that carry the gospel. <laughs> You watch what happened to Jesus himself, to his apostles. They carried that gospel to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth out to those that were compromised. that knew something of God, but they weren't living it fully. Something about the compromised man makes him hate that righteous standard. Take it as a blessing. <laughs> if you're living a life that you're not being persecuted for stupidity's sake, but because that righteous standard is so firm in you it's convicting, man, that's a badge of honor. That's how it's always been. It wasn't just a New Testament thing. Here in the book of Chronicles in Hezekiah's time, they're being scorned and ridiculed for carrying that good news, that message. The last time I spoke, we were in jeopardy of losing jobs. Praise God we did. (laughs) (laughs) And every one of us sits in here now with a new job that in some way was greater than the one we had before. And i tell you the truth. We were willing to lose it even if we didn't get another job. And yet... The Lord took care of her needs. It's almost like He's an almighty God that knows what's going to happen. All right. Also in Judah, the hand of God was on the people to give them unity of mind to carry out what the king and his officials had ordered, following the word of the Lord. And to read that, I'm like, I got a, a footnote here that's Philippians 2. It speaks about the unity of brothers. Like, for the move of God, this is what we are going for as a group of believers, that the hand of God might be upon us to accomplish what is called to. See, there's certain fruit that is produced. How do we know if the hand of God is really on us? Let's keep reading. A very large crowd of people assembled in Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the second month. That includes those from Ephraim and Manasseh. A very large crowd of people that were Often disgrace came and humbled themselves, like we heard in the former verses. They removed the altars in Jerusalem and cleared away the incense altars and threw them into the Kidron Valley. And this is idolatry inside of Jerusalem. They're, they're realizing, "Oh crap! If His Holy Spirit is going to be amongst us, I probably ought to get rid of something. I can't have that here." When the hand of God is truly on a people, the result is that they go tear out everything that doesn't belong in their life. Who here has had something traumatic in their life happen at least once? Car wreck, you know, relatives die. Does something inside you suddenly want to do a check of your own heart? Mm -hmm. See, when that Holy Spirit is in the room, something's wrong if our hearts go dead and we don't want to recheck our heart. If you take communion lightly, not considering the fact that he died to give you that chance and it's just become words, it reminds us that the world is constantly trying to callous us. But the hand of the Lord upon us, and it throws out everything that is wicked. It's not, it can't stand in His presence. There's a consecrated few that were ready for that move of God. Those that humbled themselves and came, they were ridiculed. Those that went out to preach the full message, they were ridiculed. But The hand of the Lord upon them, that was so worth it. They stood firm on what God had handed to them. If there was anything I could emulate, it would be that. To be ready for what God is doing, ready for the call that He has placed on the lives in this room? Turn with me to Isaiah. All right, speedy, I'm coming.
1: Let's
0: go to seventh chapter. <laughs> So we have Hezekiah, the man of God, the one who brought revival, Passover when it had been celebrated in ages. I bet Hezekiah's family was just awesome. Wouldn't you think so? Like, who's Who's boy is that? You ever heard somebody say that on a football field? This is Isaiah prophesying to Ahaz, Hezekiah's father. And there are certain things that have been known about Ahaz, that I'll tell you about. But suffice it to say that Hezekiah was kind of the white sheep out of the family. If we're going to keep with that same analogy, he a—he stood out from his mom and pop. There wasn't exactly that same kind of vein. It's almost like he was born of heaven. Start in the third verse. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son, Shear Jashub." to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field. Say to him, Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Don't lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Remaliah." Oh, on a side note, we have prophet of God, Isaiah here is speaking to Ahaz. Take some courage to go stand before a king of Israel, a man who commands thousands upon thousands that can have you struck dead in a moment and say, you command him this. And the Lord said, take your son with you. Now, his son's name means a remnant will return. And as he's prophesying this, the one who's standing there with him, witnessing it, the testimony, is that a remnant will return. Why do you think that he had him bring him? See, We had a witness, a disciple of the prophet there to testify that in future generations a remnant will return. See, even from the beginning, that example has always been laid out. We have Moses and we have Joshua. We have Elisha and Elijah. Constantly, throughout the Word, men had to go stand and do what was hard and proclaim righteousness, proclaim the truth of the Word, even if it wasn't going to be received well. And The Lord always put there somebody to witness it. Let's keep reading and see what Isaiah prophesies and his son watches. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram, the son of Remaliah. Aram, Ephraim, and Remaliah's son have plotted your ruins, saying, Let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it amongst ourselves. Tearing apart Judah is not a good thing. <laughs> this can't be good. Let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it amongst ourselves and make the son of Tabeo king over it. Yes, this is what the sovereign Lord says. The Lord speaks and says, this isn't going to happen. It's not going to happen. In 65 years, I'm going to destroy them all. I heard a message once where somebody spoke about a problem that can't last more than 65 years. (laughs) For most of us in this room, the problems that we're facing in this life won't be around for 65 more years. Maybe for A.J., maybe for a few little ones in the room. Let's see what he says. In the ninth verse, the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Remaliah's son. Speaking to Ahaz, he says, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Wow! It's not going to happen. I'm going to put these people to death. Just hold fast, 65 years. The one thing is, though, Stand firm in your faith for me. See, both Hezekiah and Ahaz were in the house of God, kings of Judah. We have kings of the whole world. Then we have kings of Israel. And out of Israel, we have the kings of Judah. Kings of Israel have long been in idolatry, worshipping calves, goats, and anything else. They forsook the Lord their God. But Judah was the remnant. He is standing as king of the remnant. Here. And yet... It turns out, in Ahaz's life, he didn't stand firm to the end. He died as a coward. While his son, however, his son, his son stood firm to the end. See, we can be the king of the remnant, but if we don't stand firm in our faith, stand firm in what God has told us to do, then it's all useless in the end. So I want to encourage you tonight that, yes, you must be in the house of God, and more than just in a building must be in the kingdom and devoting yourself to what God has told you to do. But that consistent, I will not let up. Not for a day, not for an hour, not just for a Sunday, not for any evening that we really just want to go deload for a little while. You must stand firm in your faith with what God has told you to do. Because a little bit of compromise grows, and a consumed day has its life. That's
1: true.
0: But we do have an example set before us. We have the testimony of Jesus Christ and those that He's placed it in. Those that are around us. Let's keep going. So from Isaiah 3, let's skip down to the 7th verse. We did it. We already read that. Let's see. We have. If you don't stand firm, you won't stand firm at all. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. This reminded me of a New Testament passage that is special to me. I had a dear brother of mine's? prophesied this to me while we were in Romania and it stuck with me ever since 1 Corinthians 15 start in the 58th verse So once again therefore my dear brothers stand firm let nothing move you always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Man, some of these, I feel like that, that ought to, those statements ought to be those that are outside the church, like, man, if you don't devote yourself to the Lord, you're, you're not going to make it. He says, therefore, my dear brothers, who's he speaking to? The church, the church of Corinth. See, in the end, there are two kings of Israel, but one's work was in vain. It's not that Ahaz never did anything good with his life. It's not that he ever, never walked in the house of the living God. It's not that he didn't fellowship with him. It's that his labor was in the vain because he didn't give himself fully and then hold to it. Let's go to the first chapter of Corinthians. So we have the Apostle Paul here, man who has fought, faced all kinds of trials, tribulations, done with many brothers that helped him get there. How does he start off speaking to the Corinthians church? A second verse. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. (laughs) To the church of God and those that are called to be holy. Does that leave anyone in the room excluded? (laughs) Is there anyone who's in the church of God but not called to be holy? No? Anybody? Anybody? Okay, just check it together with all those who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God, our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God for you because of His grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in Him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and all your knowledge. I can really say proudly that not only just in comparison to those outside the church or outside of other churches, Most of the men in the room know the Word better than a a lot of people that you meet that has grown in them, has been something that is just driving, wasn't shoved into a college somewhere and you know told you have three years with nothing else to focus on. They love it. it. They force it into their daily lives. What he says to a church that has the Spirit, that has the Word, Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ. Our Lord is faithful. And that's what I want, to have the knowledge of God, to have His Spirit, but also to hold to Him, to let Him hold us firm to the end. Because His Spirit is always speaking to us. It's always pushing us in the right direction. See, the only thing that excludes men is when they choose not to be humble when they choose not to be like Ephraim or Manasseh, or they think, I've already got it right. I've already got it worked out. Paul invested so much time into them. He invested his very blood. He suffered to bring the gospel to them. And what he says is, you have every knowledge, you have every spiritual gift. And in the 15th chapter, stand fast. Hold firm. Stay set apart. Continually set yourself apart so that your labor is not in vain in the very end. All right, turn with me to Colossians. Let's go to Colossians 2. Let's start in the fourth verse. So I tell you this, that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in the body... I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm you are in your faith in Christ. See, NIV says, orderly, in unison, in right order with God. NASB says, disciplined like discipled. The concept that we're getting at here is that you're becoming like Christ, that you're standing in the way that He has called you to. I am not normally a fan of King James or Nasby. Fantastic translations, just not my preference. In the fourth verse here, it says that, so no one may delude you, so that no one can remove you from that right doctrine, that right truth of the gospel and what it does in the heart. For though I am absent from you in the body, I am present with you in the spirit and delight to see how orderly or disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. See, the reason that he speaks about being orderly or being disciplined in discipleship is because that's what causes men to stand firm. Amen. See, I can be set apart in a moment, say, Lord Jesus, save me. But in the following days, if that somehow just fades, and it's it's not really just days at this point, it's over the course of years, suddenly I'm less devoted, I'm not pressing into the discipleship he's given me, your feet begin to slide. Because Ahaz... He didn't stand firm and then one day decide I'm jumping off the cliff. He made little compromises. Let fear make drive decisions. We know that the Lord has called you to do something in the future. But the steps that make it make up that process, I'm called to go start a work here. I'm called to be a pillar in the house of God here. But the time period in between, I choose to live just a little bit more selfishly. But I choose, rather than being discipled and you know, I think, I think what my family needs right now is really just downtime for a little while. Let's go have a 25-minute devotional and then go watch Netflix. When the God of all creation called us to be, in His order, discipled so that we can stand firm on that day, so that we can achieve the purpose that He's called us to. Turn with me to Mark, the third chapter. start in the 13th verse. It's an example from the life of Jesus. We've referred to the law. We've spoken out of the prophets and the writings. Let's hear from the gospel. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. And John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so. It is the proper time. I'm in Matthew. That's not helping me at all. Anybody in Mark? Oh, yeah, we're going to get there. Okay. You know, all Scripture is God-breathed. It's all useful for teaching and correcting, right? Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to those he wanted and they came to him. Jesus went up on a mountainside. And he called to him those he wanted. Anyone in here truly feel like you are elected by Christ? That you're amongst those that he has called? Yes. Yes. Anyone not in here? And they came to him. One of those interesting aspects about those that are called, predetermined, destined for salvation, is that you also have to come to him. Because yes. yes. <laughs> there was a, there are men that wanted to come with him, but just they didn't have, they, they couldn't leave their father's They couldn't leave whatever they had. They couldn't sell all their possessions. See, I've watched, and I'm a young man. I might even have trouble finding a scripture occasionally. (laughs) But I've seen that some men, on occasion, realize that I have complete responsibility for my life. I must serve the Lord. Does anybody know that that's true in here? That's not a profound mystery. (laughs) Now, I'm a newlywed Amen. Amen. Anybody in here been married and you realize I have responsibility for my house? They must serve the Lord because they're under my direction. From wife all the way down to baby. Somewhere, even amongst the old, strong, seasoned men, we find a gap in between this and the place that God has called us to be in. See, we believe that to be discipled is something that someone should come and do to me. See, there's a call of God that's going out, and it's your job to come to them. Too many times people say, I, I just, I I don't feel like I can connect with them. Is that because you're not pursuing what God has called you to? Now, I'm speaking about a church at large, and I'm speaking about the leadership that He's put in it. It is not their job to go hunt you down. It's not their job. Did you Do you see Jesus going through the city streets and saying, please. Please, come sit at my feet. Please, come learn from me. I have wisdom you should know. No, he gives the clear call, and he waits to see those who truly want it. And the same shows up in our lives. Are we waiting to be discipled, or can we not be deterred from being discipled? See, we've, we can use as many excuses as we like. I've got to take care of the family, or get to bed with the kids, or... Yeah, you know, cigars really aren't my thing, except there's four other households that don't smoke, you know or really, it's, it's just this. The truth is, if you really wanted to be a disciple, you'd be willing to take a beating to get to it. Yeah. See, my friends are about to go see my family in India, yeah. and I've watched women that have carried bricks on their head for their entirety of their life, have had seven children that are married to a Hindi man, that may have three other wives get born again. And I tell you, there's nothing that will deter him from being discipled or making every church service. And yet, we, as spirit-filled men of God, we find all the excuses in the world not to be discipled. Now, lest you're thinking, I'm just talking about you. Of course, there's times that, you know, you get home from work, you don't really want to go press into what God has called you to. It'd be easier just to go watch Netflix, or it'd be easier to stay at home and justify it as, all right, we'll read a chapter of the Bible and then You know, spend three hours watching something produced by Hollywood. But if we really want it, Jesus has everything there available for us. Let's see what He gives them. We're in 3.13. He appointed 12 and designated them apostles that they might be with Him and that He might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. See, authority, teaching, discipleship, that came from the leadership. Sometimes those that have had the least discipleship want the most authority. And it's just the human nature. In an effort to say that, I don't need anything. I am strong. We neglect the very thing that makes you strong and the reason God puts you where you are. I'm not going to say a specific name, but I have heard a man speak and say that discipleship is for the weak. And that's not just specific to him. That's a lie that comes from the devil. See... Ever so subtly, this thought creeps in that because I have a God call that is from me, that's for me, and He's brought me here, that I have to stay somewhat separate or aloof. That I have to stay over here in order to protect this specific, unique, special call that God has given me. And if I go mix with those that He's called me to be with, it'll be corrupted somehow. Let's keep moving on. Now, let's go to Matthew. Matthew. <laughs> the 11th chapter. <laughs> 25 through 30. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, the Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, and you revealed them to little children. That's special in and of itself right there. That you have re- revealed these things to little children. Yes, Father, for it was your good pleasure. All these things have been committed to me by the Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. We, most of the people in the room, you would say I'm in the category that He's chosen to reveal Himself to me. Right? So we've got the people of God in the house of Israel. We've got the people of God in the church of God in Corinth. All these things have been committed to me by the Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chose to reveal Him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Is that not the salvation call? I'm tired of this dead man. I'm tired of this old life. Those who are weary and burdened. Who here came to Christ at the height of getting everything that they wanted? I didn't. You know everything in life just worked out perfectly. It was the way you had always envisioned it. It was going perfectly smooth, and then you decided, eh, "I'll give Jesus a try," and you just fell in love with it. No, you were weary and you were burdened. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is a. This refers to a way of life a yoke. It says, learn from me. Who knows that we're supposed to take on the way of life of Jesus? Anybody in the room know that? Amen. I know Cody knows that. You know that, Cody? Oh, yeah. Then turn with me. Let's go to 2 Timothy, the first chapter. Anybody here say, I want that way of life? 6th verse. For this reason, I remind you to fan into the flame the gift of God. So we're talking about the Holy Spirit, baptism. We're talking about that salvation call, which, once again, must be consecrated again and again. Fan it into flame, so that you might stand firm. Which is in you through the laying on of... Jesus? No. Through the laying on of my hands. See, when he says, take upon my yoke, he sends a man to do it. He sends a man for the laying on of hands. Fan and aflame the gift of God which came through the laying on of my hands. See, if the God of all creation, so fit for you to be sitting in this room tonight, can we really think that the Lord has called us to learn from Him alone, that we're going to take on His yoke, and that doesn't somehow involve the leadership that He gave us, the laying on of my hands? See, baptism in the Holy Ghost often seems to occur through personal contact, and it It creates a kind of bond. You remember who the the Lord first spoke the gospel to you through, who first prayed for you to be filled with the Holy Ghost, those who first prayed for you to have children when you couldn't. He does that for a reason. But sometimes we forget about the way of life, that kind of yoke that has demonstrated us through the people that He put right in front of us. Now, I've grown up inside of You know my father. (laughs) The kind of intensive discipleship that sometimes people joke and say resembles a boot camp. Now, (laughs) turn to Acts 2, 42. Above all else, this scripture, through my entire childhood coming into a man, being born again in love with Jesus being married, having children of my own on the way, has shaped the way that I view discipleship. So, in the second chapter, we have all kinds of... We have Pentecost has come. We've got Peter addressing a crowd here. We have 3,000 being saved in one day. Kind of crazy, miraculous stuff. What do you think that they did with their time in between those miracles? Between those amazing moves of God? Let's read the 42nd verse. They devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching into the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. What? They devoted themselves not to the yoke of just Jesus Christ and in this ambiguous place that doesn't have a physical person standing there. No, they devoted devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles, the men that were there physically in front of them, that God had placed them there. They could have been placed in Corinth. They could have been placed in Ephesus. You could have been placed at Sugar Creek Baptist. You could have been placed in Missouri City. But He placed you here. So what does it mean to be devoted to the teaching? See, it doesn't just say devoted to the teaching. It also says to the fellowship and the breaking of bread. So... We can say, oh, uh, Judah, I'm, I'm devoted to the teaching. That's why I'm here, man. See, me? I was at Bible study too. Are we fellowshipping and breaking bread right now? It's possible we could take communion. Do you think that's what he's talking about? The fellowship and the breaking of bread takes place in homes. It takes place in personal life where you're not Amen. standing behind a pulpit. Amen. It takes place with his, their family, with their children. It takes place with the brothers that God has called you to be with and not just those that are kind of standing aloof or you're comfortable with, but those that are standing on the call. I can firmly tell you with a clear conscience the men that I spend the most time with I think definitely love the Lord more than me, if maybe possibly about the same, if not like you know, a hair over. I don't spend as much time with people that I think are choosing to live in compromise, that I'm comfortable with. I'd rather be around those that make me uncomfortable but make me grow. And you might be able to intellectually say that, but when you look at your life on a weekly basis, is that really turning out to be true? What do we spend our free time doing? See, we get busy with all kinds of things, but you find out what's really important by what you sacrifice for. See, I'll sacrifice to make something happen that I really want to do. I am about 20 pounds lighter than before I got married. There was a time in my life that I would sacrifice anything to go spend a little bit of time building my flesh. And, you know, it was important to me. There's times in life that we sacrifice to go sin. Man, you find a way to do it. It doesn't matter what time it was. It doesn't matter what was going on. You That sinful nature was still there driving you. How is it that somehow we let excuses creep in, creep in and we're not fulfilling the word. Acts two forty two says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and they fellowship and the breaking of bread. If that's not happened on a daily, if not weekly, basis, how are we fulfilling that? If we wonder why a church doesn't look like the book of Acts or our personal life specifically, and yet we neglect the time in between the three thousand saved miracles, the time in between standing up and speaking to the Sanhedrin, what do you think prepared those men for those occasions? It's the time where they sat and they ate and drank with Jesus. Where they sat at the apostles' feet. They studied in their own personal time and they couldn't wait to come and sit before Him and say, hey, I'm wrestling with this. I'm trying to apply this in this next work day. I'm trying to apply this in my home. I'm trying to apply this. See, the reason that they were able to do what they do is not because there was some... Not everybody's going to have a dove light on them and say, this is the sun that I'm well pleased I'm not saying that the Father won't put His affirmation on you, put His Spirit on you. Jesus had that happen to Him because of the life that He led. And if we're waiting for something like that to happen and we're not putting in the time in between, how can we expect to see the same fruit? It's like showing up to the football game and not having been there for any of the practices. I don't like sports analogies. I never have. It's like, I'm just... I'm entitled. It's a little bit like what we see in our political system. I expect that through osmosis, somehow, I'm going to fulfill the call that God has given me. And yet, I'm choosing to neglect the very example that was laid out in the Acts of the Saints. Mm-hmm. Wow. And when I read that, and began to really not just be a textbook or a scripture that I quoted once, but something that I'm thinking about this week, how am I going to apply that? Man, nothing can stay quite the same. You can't, you can't just say... Oh, well, I'll get around to it. Or during this phase in my life or this season, I'm having to devote more time to home or more time to this. Either that's true or it's not. And there's a convicting truth about it. I must devote myself to the apostles' teachings. I must devote myself to time at home with them, the breaking of bread, to seeing what their personal life is like, seeing how they relate to their kids. I've had the amazing honor of watching Wade Sutherland praise, encourage, and rebuke his children. And I'm a pastor's kid. I, 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 they're amazing. They're better than I was. And I watch what that does. And I promise you, it affects the way that I act in my own home and the way that I think about raising my son. Now, if you're not there to see those kind of personal things, how is it that we can be truly a disciple? Because I can listen online to this message. I can listen online to Sunday's message. And I probably will this week. But that's not a substitute for being a disciple. Sitting inside the church service and listening to it, it's the exact same thing as listening to it online if you're not acting in life with the people that are there. Now let's move on, lest I beat a dead horse. But can you tell that somehow that is, that is attached in my soul? Let's go to Hebrews 13. Turning, turning, turning. (laughs) Start in the seventh verse. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace not by ceremonial foods which have no value to those who eat. We have an altar for which those who minister at the tabernacle have no gifts to eat. Just as a side note, not by some special food, not by taking communion or a Eucharist, not by by anything that is physical in nature, just a single act, can we be born again can we turn into who God has called us to do? I'm blessed to have some family that comes from a Serbian Orthodox background. And that shows up in a very physical sense. I'm saved because I take the Eucharist. But in a body that is more educated than your average Orthodox background about what the Scripture actually says, Do we substitute showing up for church or reading a devotional like it's a Eucharist? I'm saved because I did this and I don't really worry about how the rest of the day goes. I'm not constantly praying and setting myself apart so that I may stand firm. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Imitate their way of life. That is that yoke that Jesus was speaking about. Matthew 11, he spoke about little children it was given to. I, I want to be considered a little child. See, the only thing that can separate us from what he has called us to, that amazing gift of God, is pride. It says, oh, discipleship's for the weak. No, I, the call God has given me, it must, you know, I've got to protect it over here and baby it. And somehow if I devote myself to that way of life, I'll lose it. I become indistinct. as if the king of kings wasn't capable of taking the call he gave you and bringing about exactly how it was supposed to happen. Turn with me to Corinthians 4. Now, there are some things that it'd be improper for someone to say about themselves. There's even a cute expression that sometimes people use, you're not allowed to toot your own horn, that you're not allowed to praise yourself. I can tell you that above all, anyone else, I can testify to the way of life of these men. If I'm qualified to do nothing else, I'm qualified to testify to that. Start with me in 1 Corinthians 4 and the 10th verse. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored. We are dishonored. To this very hour we go hungry and thirsty, for we are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you, as my dear children. Before we move on, this is him speaking to that same Corinthian church, He's speaking to the church at Corinth that is the house of God once again. And somehow, people have let an attachment to something outside that looks as if it's special, that's, that's, that it must have wisdom. Or they've grown calloused in their hearts and they're becoming stiff-necked. Saying, I don't really need to hold on to that. I need to be unique. Or, it's okay. Let me... There are other teachings out there that are worth something. There's other ways of life. There are churches just like this all over the world that are ordained by God. There are many that are not and that are a joke. But I'm not here to talk about them. I'm here to talk about you. Where is the King of Kings called You? Irregardless of whether or not there's something else, where have we been called to? It says, I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. I urge you to imitate me. Wait. Imitate me? A person? Through the laying on of my hands? For this reason, I'm sending to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with which I teach everywhere in the church. So some of you have become arrogant as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon. If the Lord is willing, and then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a whip or in love? With a gentle spirit? The human of God is not a matter, a fine speech. It's not a matter of anything other than a demonstration of Christ's power. And as much as we would like to say that I don't need discipleship, that I don't need to be devoted, or that you know, the call God has given me is somehow exclusive of where I've been placed, It'll be demonstrated in your way of life as to whether or not there's power there. Would you rather the king of kings come to you with a whip or come to with you love and a gentle spirit? Turn to me with Je- to Jeremiah: 21. Now, I know there's some men in the room that have read the Bible cover to cover. And I've grown up in church, read a lot of scripture here and there. But I've worked from Matthew to Revelation, from Genesis all the way to Isaiah, and I'm reading in the prophets now. Man, it's convicting some of the stuff he says to the house of God. It's kind of crazy. It's almost like it's the Spirit of the Lord speaking to you as you read it. This is 21... This is the people of God. And they've been rejecting the prophets of the Lord. They've killed some of them. They rejected the voice of God in their life that was placed before them. I'm going to start reading to you in the first verse. The word came to Jeremiah from the Lord when King Zedekiah, and he sent him Pashur, son of Machajah, and the priest Zephaniah, son of Messiah. They said, Inquire now of the Lord for us, because Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, is attacking us. Perhaps the Lord will perform wonders for us as in times past so that He will draw from us. Man, they knew the power of God. They were set apart as the people of God. What you're hearing here is that the Lord has come through for them again and again and again. He sent a prophet to speak to them. They'd be persecuted and He would raise up a judge. They would be condemned and He would raise up a warrior or a prophet They would prophesy what was to happen and give them insight, give them victory. And he says, inquire of the Lord, maybe he'll do it again. See, they hadn't devoted themselves to what God had called them to do. And they did it again and again and again. Let's see what the Lord's response was to them. But Jeremiah answered them, tell Zedekiah, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I'm about to turn against you the weapons of war that are in your hands which you are using to fight the king of Babylon and the Babylonians who are outside the wall besieging you. And I will gather them inside the city. I myself will fight against you with an outstretched arm and a mighty arm in anger and fury and great wrath. Ooh, bad Israel. Those those terrible people of God that let compromise in their life. And they are the people of God. They are His chosen ones. But they chose just to think that it'll happen eventually, that, you know, I'll, I'll change the way that we live, or that just for right now and this time and this season, or just for this one week, I'm going to... Really what's needed is I'm just going to slack off a little bit. I'm going to spend some, some evenings that I know I should be here, but it's just easier right now. It's not what we say, but that's what happens. These people are God-ordained to fulfill a purpose promise was given to Abraham is to be a blessing to the whole world. Who in here has been given a promise that the Lord is going to bless the entire world through you? If you're a participator in the faith of Abraham, that's everyone. Yeah, yeah. See, but they waited so long that their calling passed them by. See, the call of the Lord is irrevocable. Your lifespan is not. They were still ordained to do it. But they had waited so long and tried His patience so many times that though they cried out to Him, said, no, I myself am going to fight against you. See, I'm not speaking about being antsy and leaving before the Lord has told you to leave or acting before He's told you to act. I'm saying, be consecrated, be ready. With every day, hour, minute I have left, let me be pursuing what He gave me because when that day comes, I want to be ready whether it's three years or it's six years, whether you're a pillar in the house of God here, how long are we going to wait before we devote ourselves fully, before we say, no, today I am set apart for the Lord? Did you put Psalms 4 on the screen for me? It's a terrible thing to watch men who are called of God, anointed by Him, chose just the easy way out a little too long, and now suddenly the prime of their life is wasted. In the 13th chapter of Kings, there's a story about a man of God who goes to prophesy against the sin that is in Jeroboam's and Ebat's house. And an old, compromised prophet comes to him along the way and says, Hey, the Lord appeared to me in a dream. Just stop in my house for a while. Come eat some bread with me. Come drink some wine. See, the reason that man of God and that old prophet chose to do that is because not only were they pursuing what the Lord had given them, but they didn't hold firm to it. And that old prophet had grown accustomed to being compromised and inviting other men to it. It's part of the reason that we call men to the standard. We don't go to them and sit with them in their sin. It's not an unwillingness to go speak to the lost, the tax collectors, the prostitutes. It's that you don't give them any leeway where they're at. You call them to what is right and invite them with that loving, truthful speech. Answer me when I call to you, O my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Be merciful to me and hear my prayer. A man of God showed me this psalm once in a time that it's been special to me. How long, O men, will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him. In your anger, do not sin. When you are on your bed, search your hearts and be silent. So the temptation here is to sin in your anger. So he's angry about those that serve false gods, but he says, know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. They're consecrated. The concept of being humble or meek in the word is not somebody who's mousy. It's somebody who doesn't put themselves above God's will and emotions. Somebody who said, I'm consecrated to him. I'm going to do what he tells me to do. I'm not going to sin in my anger. I'm not going to sin in my fear. I'm going to stand where He's told me to stand because I can stand no other place. Amen. I will stand firm in my faith. Amen. What's the next verse? Offer right sacrifices and trust in the Lord. What is a right sacrifice? Throughout the prophets they tell us in the Psalms that the blood of bulls and rams is not what I desire, but is an upright heart, right actions, one who is set apart. Many are asking, who can show us any good? Let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. You have filled my heart with greater joy than when their grain and new wine abound. (laughs) I will lie down and sleep at peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Lord, I find no comfort anywhere by standing in your will. Even if that means 10,000 fall on one side and the other, I'm at peace because I'm in your will. I stand firm on what I'm called to. Let's read the 8th verse of Jeremiah 21. Furthermore, tell the people, this is what the Lord says, See, I'm setting before you the way of life and the way of death. Whoever goes out and surrenders to the Babylonians or being besieging you will live, but he will escape with his life. I've determined to do this city harm and not good, declares the Lord. It will be given into the hands of the king of Babylon. He will destroy it with fire. They had reached a place where the Lord setting life and death before them. The way of life and the way of death. What makes up that difference It's not just those who choose to enter the house of God. It's those who choose to continue in the way of life. I ask you tonight, are you continuing in the way of life? Or am I just sitting in the house of Israel and thinking that it's all going to be all right? Through osmosis, I'm going to be a disciple. There's a time in life where I really began to take what God had given me seriously and a period where it was just a part of life. It just happened as it happened. And suddenly, Acts 2.42 just became real to me and needed to happen. It wasn't just okay if there were some weeks that it didn't. I'm going to tell you that the way of life is set before you now. Will you choose to take it? Are we just going to drift on by in the way of death? The way of death sounds harsh. Sounds as if there's adversity for it. There isn't. It's easy and it's cool coasting all the way through right before you hit the place where the Lord says, I will not deliver you my own hand is going to be set against you. See, it's that, oh, it's just going by as it goes by that leads us to death because we think everything's alright. The kingdom of God is advanced by forceful men. Men who are willing to press in. They're willing, not just in themselves, but to lead their whole families in righteousness. They're not just get a right for a few months, but to choose to press in and not drift from it. Yet, The principle of a Sabbath is in place for a reason. Sometimes the idea of a Sabbath just becomes that it's physical rest. The point is that you focus on the Lord and what He's called you to do so that you never get too far off. If you're flying a plane or if you're on a boat, you have to constantly course correct. How long does it go by when we don't reassess the way that we're living based upon what God has told us to accomplish? At one point, I heard prophecies. I was like, oh man, that's cool. I wouldn't remember it a month later. If you genuinely believe that it was born of God, shouldn't you remember it? The Lord gave you a specific revelation from the Word, shouldn't you remember it? Now, my memory's not great, so I write it in a notebook. I don't care how you do it. I tell you that what God has given you should be precious, and you shouldn't let yourself drift from it. Not for a minute. The consequences are too high. It's not just you anymore. For me, it's not just me anymore. I want my family to serve the Lord. I want my sons to watch what righteousness looks like. Even in mighty King David, the very next generation, Solomon, he represents a millennial reign. The world had never seen anything quite like it, and it still hasn't. And yet, by the end of his life, he didn't finish like his father David did. And then Rehoboam, his son, Split the kingdom of God. Will what we produce physically and in spiritual children, will that adhere to the standard? Can we reproduce what has been shown? Do I know that pattern well enough that it doesn't just hold me to it, but it holds everyone that I come into contact to with it? We've got to be that familiar with it. It's the only way that it carries through. Even the mighty King David, it didn't happen quite that way in his family line. It slowly drifted to the place where we see Ahaz, a descendant of David, one set apart who didn't hold firm to the end but it can with us. The way of life and death is before us. Let's go to Matthew 25. Let's start in the 14th verse. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To the one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once, put his money to work, and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. So we have a house. Every one of them are servants of the master. Everyone was inside the house. Everyone had something invested in them. Sometimes we want to sit and complain about so-and-so who has more talent or more invested in them, or if we don't do it verbally, we do it in our hearts and our mind. Sometimes we want to say, Lord, I'm just doing the best here with what I was given. These are men that stood inside the house of the living God once again, and they were given to an account with what they did with what the Lord handed them. That's not just being born again. It's not just being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's that way of life and that teaching was handed. Will you take hold of the teaching that is being set before you on a daily basis? Or will we eat of it enough to where it becomes us, where we can replicate it, till we know what it is? And when we stand before the Master say, Lord, I've got five more. I didn't just eat it myself. I didn't just bury it in the ground and hold on to the one I needed. I've got five more. I taught those that you put me in contact with to give it to them. I don't want to show up before the king of kings empty-handed. And it's all too easy to do so. Amongst those that enter the kingdom of God, not everyone is going to have something to give the king of kings. Will we have something that is precious and valuable in His sight that He'll say to you, my well-done, good, and faithful servant? Will He say well-done to you? Or is he going to say, you wicked and lazy servant, I gave you the best that I could and you didn't take it seriously. You waited until it was too late. But both are possible. The way of life and death is before us. Will we reproduce what has been given to us? I intend to, no matter what it costs me. Is it precious enough to do whatever it takes to reach it? I believe that it is. Let's go to one more parable. Let's go to the 13th chapter. start in the 47th verse. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good, fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them in... and throw them... In, to the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and ashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things, Jesus asked? Yes, they replied. He said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven, is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. This parable it's like a treasure coming out of the master's house. These fish are those that are being brought into the Master's house. Yet there's a sifting hand working through. Judgment starts with the house of God. It doesn't start with the lost. See, you'd be surprised if you look at the parables. Almost everyone is speaking about the house of God. It's not saying those that didn't come, those that rejected the call. It's saying amongst those that are sitting in this room, some of the good fish will be thrown out and some of the bad will. What makes the difference is have we held to that way of life? Am I consecrated? I can be shown not just to be physically separate, but I'm a spiritually separated, consecrated man for the King of Kings. I am a good and faithful servant. Will be shown, tested, and approved, or will we be burned up like chaff? I told you that the message title was The Rising and Falling on the Temple Floor. Let's go to one more passage. Let's go to Luke 2. 33, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, His mother, the child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel. The falling and the rising of many in the house of God. And to be a sign that will be spoken against. So the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So, a sword piercing your soul now? Is it dividing? You're either rising or you're falling. He you didn't say, I called you to ride the metal line. I didn't call you to be a servant that produces nothing. Either you hit the floor, like Ananias and Sapphira, or you're resurrected on that last day. What do we choose today? I tell you that my heart's desire is to choose life and to not give up on it for a minute. Not to choose to sit with the compromised for a minute, but to call to the right standard, to force myself and my family to the right standard, no matter what it takes or costs, because it is worth getting that well good, well done, good and faithful servant. And I think that many of you can and will reach it. But the question is, do I set myself apart now or do I stand back where I already was? Or do I step up and take my stand in faith on where the Lord has called me to be?
1: Could you put Isaiah 59:21 on the screen? One of the things that is beautiful as a father is when you see your children do things that you're not capable of doing. Judah just preached a message that lasted exactly 1 hour. <laughs> This is one of those churches. And by those churches, I mean, we know each other. (laughs) You know that the things that he said to you tonight are things that he deeply cherishes, that he lives. Some of you have been around long enough to see him running around in his underwear in a house church when he didn't understand the things of God, knew how to repeat them hung around those who knew the things of the Lord. He had to stand up in church and testify, but he did not know the Lord like he does now. Isaiah 59, 21 was a promise the Lord gave me in India. It's amazing. Every good thing that he's ever said to me, he said to me while I was out of the country or out of my comfort, or out of my local, it's always out. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit who is on you, and my words that I have put in your mouth, will not depart from your mouth, or the mouths of your children, or from the mouths of their descendants, from this time on, and forevermore, says the Lord. Somebody say that's a good promise. As true as that promise is, the obligation is still upon you to impress the word upon them. Tonight, Judah addressed you as a loving member of the congregation. As pastor, I want to tell you that if you want to stand and see your children deliver the word of God, If you want to see your children delivered by the word of God. If you want to know that Isaiah 59, 21 is true for you. It begins with what you do now. I mean, it it does. Ahaz and Hezekiah had the same opportunity and they were related. And the father didn't do it and the son did. We're not damned or, or, Granted special privileges because of our lineage. Amen. We just are what we are. You have a chance tonight. You have a chance to hear something and respond to it. I don't think we could have had a better worship service than we did earlier. And I'm sure that from the first note of the guitar that strikes, we're going to feel the overwhelming presence of the Lord. Don't get so used to that that you don't react to it as you should. Because that's how Israel found themselves in the situation that Jeremiah addressed. They took for granted that the Lord's grace would be upon them regardless of their behavior. Samson did too. Countless biblical characters did. I want to remind you that he does not owe you anything. He's already done for you everything that he ever promised you. The talent's already been invested. Now is a sobering time for you to consider what you're doing with it. It really is. If you're sitting in this room, your race is not over. If you're sitting in this room hearing this message, it's because the Lord wants to stir you to action. You might need to seek the face of God for revelation into your very next step because men of God, they don't just happen. They don't just fall from the sky. They're forged in the burning presence of his spirit. They come as an initial act of grace and then labor of love and work that your faith produces. They come Because you took seriously the revelation from heaven. If church is something that is happening to you. If all you could really say was that you showed up. It's not nearly enough. The young man was right to equate church attendance with the eating of a Eucharist wafer. They have about the same merit. Search what you do will echo through eternity. It will. What what you do will be spoken about and recorded for an eternity. And you know what? It's up to you. You hear me, Sicola? It's up to you. It's it's up to you, Jorge. What happens with your son is up to you, Frank. Your family. It's it's up to you. <laughs> That is a heavy thing, but a beautiful thing because it is up to you. When you do stand to your feet in just a second, let your decision to act already be made. When you're invited to write a memorial stone across your heart, to testify before the heavens that this day something changes for you. Don't sit and deliberate. Don't dishonor the Lord with more half-hearted seconds. Like Philip, let's run to do his will. Amen. Stand to your feet as we pray.